Coach, thank you very much for joining me today on this Simple Coach Coach interview. Appreciate you taking the time, as I alluded to earlier. Um, I went back and watched our first interview back in February. Aside from the fact that I probably had like 100 subscribers at the time. Um, uh, so I, I blame you to having almost 1,000 now. So um, it's all on your shoulders. Um, uh, yeah, it was, just, it was just interesting to look back and, and, and see you there. But thank you for today. Um, I know you're busy, so I appreciate, appreciate the time. My pleasure. Okay, so without prompting you, um, give me a sense as to how you think your season went from your perspective, right? Like, so when somebody, you know, you're telling your team, hey, this is what I viewed at 2022. This is what I'm th- I was thinking. So. Mm-hmm. Well, as we talked to the team after the season, it's, it's interesting to see how expectations shape our perception. So the guys coming from 2021 obviously had very high expectations and so not making it back to the final four, everybody could say, oh, we were disappointed with that. Mm-hmm. At the same point, you know, we look at, we win the conference, we get to the Sweet 16 for the fourth out of the last five seasons. Um, so there's a lot to be proud of there. And it's interesting because what we talked about as a team was, okay, well, what are our takeaways, of things that we should make sure we're focused on and be proud of from this season? Um, and some of those things are, you know, we graduated, you know, some very important players last year, um, then had an unexpected loss of a, of a key player as well. Um, and when we came into the beginning of the season, we had multiple injuries and then the uh, beautiful lingering red card for Michael Kutzen's era from last year's semifinal game um, <laughs> that I'll, re- I'll reserve comment on. <laughs> um, I'm just not. I'm just not going to go there. Like that's just gonna yeah, so, yeah, that's a lot it. of that's a lot of trouble for a recorded yeah <laughs> for a recorded video, right? Like yeah, we don't want to <laughs> dive into that one. But so there's like a lot of things that when we looked at it, like there's a lot of transition and people had to step up to new roles. And the interesting thing is when you look at from where we started in preseason games and our first couple games to where we finished, our starting lineup changed 50%. Mm-hmm. So we were figuring it out, people in new positions, people moving to new spots. You know, Tyler Smith had been playing the sixth position, and then we realized we needed him at center back. And then I look at Wayne Agbi had been an outside midfielder, and we needed him up top. And you look at the different outside backs that we used all throughout the season because of a high rate of injuries. Um, there was a lot of change and transition for this team. So I think they handled that wonderfully. And I'm really proud of the guys for adjusting and finding a way to, to really be the, the best team we could be. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, um, you know, I know the guys would have wanted to go a little bit further, but we played a very strong team in the Sweet 16 and we didn't yeah. finish our chances well enough. So mm-hmm. that's kind of how our how our game goes. Sometimes it's a yeah, yeah. It, it's a it's a tough one, um, but I give a lot of credit to Kenyon, and you know I think had we finished our chances better, I think we did enough to feel like we could have walked away with a win in that game. Mm-hmm. Um, and overall, when you look at it, it's you know a conference title, a Sweet Sixteen. Three All-Americans, two academic All-Americans. Oh we just had yeah. five people named first team All-State. Like, yeah. I mean, that's a great season. And the guys yeah. should be really, really proud. Um, it's just tough coming from last year. I know 
you know, they think, oh, we got here, so now we're going to be back here. Yeah. And, yeah. No, you know, no guarantees. that's tough. There's no guarantee, and sometimes yeah. you need a little luck to go with it. Um, but overall, I think there's, there's a lot to be proud of. Mm-hmm. Can I? Can I ask you, would you say like last year, which I thought you guys were gangbusters throughout the season, was it smoother? It sounds like this year was a lot, like you said, a lot in flux, a lot of change, a lot of sort of moving parts. Was last year, it's terrible to use the word easier, but in some ways was it easier last year in 2021 versus 2022? Well, I've done a lot of thinking and sort of processing of the differences between the mm-hmm. two years. And it's really interesting because of the effect of COVID. Yeah. And this is what I, I looked at for this year versus last year. Is in 2021, our players had to live like monks. Mm-hmm. Because if they didn't, we would lose games. Yeah. We would, you know, games would get canceled. We wouldn't be able to play. And nobody wanted to be that guy who caused the rest of his best friends to lose their senior season or lose a season or, or do whatever. So literally, I mean, guys were going to the dining hall, picking up their food, going back to their room and eating. They weren't socializing at all. They were just completely focused on the season because that was what brought them joy in the only way they could get consistent joy. Mm-hmm. So we had a, a great deal of focus. And then when I look at this year, I asked the question, how many 21-year-old males want to do that for two years in a row? (laughs) I did. Yeah, yeah. I just look at it, and I'm like, rightly so. They want to experience college. They want to, I mean, COVID was tough emotionally on all students. And these guys, for two years, had a restricted reality of life. And now it was somewhat back to normal. So I think their eyes got bigger. They looked around. They weren't as monkish. Yeah. Um, and that that made us work a little bit harder as coaches because we knew we had to keep their attention as opposed to having their attention all the time. Um, and I'd say that was a big that was a difference. But I do say as well, like in twenty one in October, we were not playing good soccer. Mm. Um, there was a confidence because we had done so well and our we were doing so well. So I think teams were a bit intimidated when they stepped on the field, but but we won multiple games. I didn't think we outplayed the other team in October. Interesting. And then it was really when we lost in the in the conference semifinal, the guys were like, "Oh, we can lose." Okay. So that kind of then refocused them, mm-hmm. and we got kind of like a two week preseason before the NCAA tournament, which was amazing. Um, but this year it was in September. There was a lot of a lot of tinkering, figuring it out and reminding people that the devil's in the details. You know, I think that clause is kind of, I probably used that clause more this season than any other season in my coaching career. Mm. What, what do you think, what, what surprised you with this team this year? I mean, it sounds like they were obviously a pretty resilient group, right? Just being able to deal with so much in flux. Um, but is there anything in particular that stood out for you that in terms of, good or bad, whether it was a team or individuals stepping up? I think by the end of the year, um, there were moments that this team played extremely well. Um, And particularly our build-up and attack and our spacing. We worked a lot in the midfield with our 
coordinated spacing. And I'll say as we, you know, when we went into the conference tournament and then we went into the NCAA tournament, we were averaging five goals a game for like five straight games against good teams. Like both in the first and second round, we scored five goals. And then two of the three games we played in our conference tournament, we scored five plus goals. Yeah. And I was just like, whoa, like we are, <laughs> we're coming at this. And you did, you, you scored know. 10 goals in the first, in the two, in the games you hosted, right? Like you scored yeah. 10 goals between the two. Yeah. Yeah. It's remarkable. And then we tied the, uh, the all time record for our conference for most goals in a single conference mm-hmm. tournament. And it's just like, so we were firing on all cylinders. And, and quite honestly, even in our Sweet 16 game, I mean, there were times Kenyon couldn't get out of their half and they were yeah. screaming at each other frustrated and we were just getting yeah. opportunity after opportunity. It's just we weren't finishing at the same comfort level that we had in the previous six or seven games. Yeah. Um, so that was a thing that I look at, like, we were creating so many chances, spreading the field well, transitioning to attack well. So many different people were contributing. Um, I was really proud of that. It, it was it was enjoyable to be a part of and, and to watch and to see Michael and Sam and Wayne and and all these guys and Mateo sort of really figuring it out and communicating better and and just creating some. You know, I still am a biased person. I, I call it the beautiful game. When you see a beautiful goal. It's awesome. It, you know, there's a certain, I don't know, I, I always tell people, that's my museum. Yeah. That's what I see. I see the Monet or the Manet. If yeah. I see a this combination, I see something, I'm like, all right, I'll spend $5,000 on that picture. <laughs> like, I, 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 I'm with you. Like, I think, I look at it that way, too. Like, there are those moments where you're like, it's captured, you know? Whatever it is about that game that you love, the coordination of it everybody's sort of in sync and you see it you're like oh my gosh it takes you to a different level um yeah. and yeah I'm, I'm with you there so let me ask you the boss's question as i call it how would you assess your coaching this year mm-hmm. this is recorded uh, i'm just reminding yeah. you <laughs> I, I would say um for flexibility and finding a way to get us to play our best, uh, I would mark me quite high on that. Mm-hmm. Um, for probably taking a step back and making it so we use some more kid-like games and breaks from focus and stuff like that, I should have done better. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think sometimes when we're really trying to get it where we need it to go, sometimes the best thing we can do is take a little break and you know, just be kids and have fun and do whatever. And, and I think I probably, I probably should have thrown a few more days of that in during that late September, early October period when we were still trying to, to really find who we wanted to be. Yeah. All right. Because you, because the ODAC is the ODAC, um, did, did, did this, yeah, I mean, you obviously won the, the, I think regular season and the tournament, right? Is that you? We actually came in second in the regular season yeah, okay. and then won the tournament. All right. So, but you won the tournament. Um, like, did, did the ODAC play out the way you expected it to play out? The way, you know. Here's the odd thing about it is, like, if you take the top, say, six or seven teams in, in ODAC, we all know that if we don't play well, 
we're going to lose. Lose. And so the way it played out, would I have ever thought that both Lynchburg and then us would have lost to Guilford when all we needed to do was to win that game to win the regular season? I, I wouldn't have, I would never have bet that. Never have bet that, particularly given that Lynchburg did it first. So we had warning <laughs> and then we still did it. Um, so that was a stunner. Yeah. But other than that, you know, we know like once again, it's the tournament, it's, it's, yeah. you know, there's going to be some upsets. There's going to be some, some tight games and people know each other so well that, you know, it's a, it's a different challenge because, mm. you know, like when we played Roanoke in the final, I know they prepare a great deal for playing us mm. and they have a very good coach and he really does a lot of grilling to get them ready for us. And so that's unlike any other team we play because they've seen us so much. They know our system backwards and forwards. And yeah. They know what they're trying to attack. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a big fan of Roanoke. I, um, uh, I think that's a, g- a great program. I, I, I don't know if you knew this or you were there. I, I actually managed to hit the men's semifinals down there. And I didn't realize you were so close and whatever we were driving down to, to a, soccer tournament so down in south carolina so we stopped over and i was really impressed facilities he's a great guy i've spoken to um uh coach flugred before um so yeah i'm a big fan um anyhow it was off tangent so all right so you had three ties excuse me three ties um in the regular season emory lynchburg and virginia wesleyan I just want to get your thoughts on the overtime, the lack of overtime in the regular season. I mean, do you think it was a net positive, net negative? Would you have preferred to just play it out the extra 20 minutes? Well, see, I, I come from a somewhat unique perspective on that because for a few years I was the chair of the rules committee. Mm-hmm. So that was a question that came up every year and we had looked at the data mm-hmm. to drive whether or not we would move that way when I was the head of the committee and the data says in the last 10 years, there's no proof of increased injury either mm-hmm. in the game post or two games post mm-hmm. overtime. Mm-hmm. The data also said about 45% of ties were solved with overtime, mm-hmm. which in the NCA, typically that's, I want to say between 25 and 2,800 ties per year. Mm-hmm. So if you're solving 1400 of them or 1300 of them, that's a lot of games games. Yes. And, and I really do think it's, it muddied the waters. Mm-hmm. Um, it confused selections. Um, and, and quite honestly, to then say, when you go to postseason, there's no golden goal is irresponsible. Mm-hmm. Um, because you're going from a situation where guys are never going to play overtime. And then when the games are back to back, you're Full telling throttle. them they're going to have to do yeah. 20 extra minutes and possibly twice in a weekend. So I look at it and I'm like, okay, so you're having them play two games back to back, and then you're adding an extra half onto it, which is insane. And every medical professional that has been working for the NCAA would say that's absurd. And somehow that's the rule that got put into play, which mm-hmm. I just think is irresponsible. Spoke to the Gustavus 
coach the other day and he talked about this very thing they had the day before they had the full overtime uh in chicago and then less than 24 hours later had to be ready and so you put in 120 minutes or whatever it comes out to and then Mm -hmm. you got to wake up the next day and then play an outstanding team that deep And he's like, it's often in his legs. He said his guy's legs. He knew like that was going to be the big difference because Chicago sort of cruised through their game. Right. And I look at previous NCAA tournaments. I know we were up at FNM and we were playing St. Lawrence at FNM and the first game had gone late. So our game started late. So we went late Friday night and it Mm -hmm. had to be Friday, Saturday because of a religious team that was there. So our game didn't start till 930 at night on Friday. So we didn't finish our game because we went to PKs until after midnight. Oh my God. And they had scheduled the game for one o'clock the next day. And so I remember I talked to the site administrator. I'm like, look, we're, we're finishing three hours after we were supposed to have finished. Can you push it back to four? So at least we get 12 hours of time where we're not on a field. They're like, no, we can't do that. I'm like, this is absurd. So you're telling me that we're going to go back and in nine hours we have to be back here so my guys can go get the athletic training and get warmed up properly. Mm-hmm. And I just, I, it's just a, it's still a flawed structure and like things like that. It's great that the semifinal and the final were separated by a day. I, I think that's the proof, right? That works. Yeah. yeah. It's got to, it's got to trickle down. And I mean, it's supposed to be the most important time of the year for teams. So let's manage it that way. Um, and if we do so, I think, I just think it's healthier. It'll be better games. It'll be better quality. Um, and you'll have less injuries, which mm-hmm. I think there's only good about it. It'll cost a little bit more, but not that much that it shouldn't be yeah. done. The, the the national championship is, to me is the model. If you're gonna do like for whatever reason two games over a weekend, well then you got you the the day off is just, I mean that's the only responsible thing thing to do is to give a, the kids a day off until the next yeah. game, like that. And to me, it's funny. I I, I I've been saying for a while. I'm like. Look, I get the intention, whatever the of no overtimes, you know, player load, that sort of thing. But that to me is like that's periphery stuff, you know. Like that's just, you know, you you find an easy thing, low hanging fruit. Okay, no overtimes, and I'm not even saying like, well, then how does that look like in the postseason or in the tournaments? But I'm like, if there's real concern for the amount of in the the amount of games that they play or the time that they that they play well then there's only one way to solve that and i think that's the logical one is give more time in the tournament extend out the season like that that's the only way that's the only legitimate way because i don't think overtimes like you said are i don't think they're as impactful on a player as what teams think and i think it encourages guys to have a deeper bench right like right if if that's a problem well then that's why you got 30 guys on your roster right because the idea is that you should be able to take somebody and throw them on to 
give somebody a blow because they just can't go or they're starting to feel like they can't, they're going to get hurt. Uh, anyhow, that's Increases my opportunity, which is kind of what D3 is about too, is yeah. playing deeper and increasing opportunity. And I mm -hmm. just see it as a small reality is when I was on that committee, it was led by coaches and currently it's led by referees. Really? Yep. Wow. I just broke some news. Okay. Like I yep. feel like wow, I'm a ro I'm a, I am a investigative reporter <laughs> here. <laughs> um that's astounding. Right? Uh -huh. Like Yeah. That that's 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 interesting who drives that. And you know total like I'm already thinking bad things, you know? Like, huh. You know, you just guaranteed whatever you get paid is you know no it's free overtime. Be, no free overtime. Yeah, no 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 double time, no nothing. Like, yeah. Um that's interesting. All right, let me ask you before we go down into that, you know, step into that quicksand. Boy, we've had two topics already of quicksand, almost like jumping into quicksand <laughs> and like I'm navigating around, although I probably should. Somebody's going to be like, "Oh, you should have kept talking about that." Um what do you did Maybe not you, maybe other teams. Do you think like coaches coached differently knowing that there was no OT? Like at Definitely. the 70th minute, like lock it down, like forwards off and thrown on defenders, that sort of thing? Definitely. Yeah. And I think just the mentality of players knowing they don't have to go into overtime, they can bunker down for that extra 15 at full energy knowing that it's not another 20 minutes potential that they're going to have to do it because it's a much more manageable bite. Yeah. So I think the mentality of the players enables them to be more active and energetic than they would have been had they had the prospect of more time as well. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. I didn't think about the players. You're right. Like they know they're out there. They're like, I can go harder if I have to. Um, because I know that I don't, there's no, there's yeah. not going to be any OT. That's interesting. I just got seven minutes and I just got to do everything I can for seven yeah. minutes. Yeah, yeah, I'm about to cramp up, but I can probably, I can go, probably seven go seven minutes. minutes. Yeah, yeah. 20, not so sure. Not so sure. <laughs> yeah, very true. <laughs> hey, they, they, they did pass that rule about the extra week or whatever it comes out to of training in the spring you now get 26 days for not this spring but next spring i mean is that do you think that's a step in the right direction i think that's awesome um i, I really do because it, it just gives it's an interesting thing and, and like we were talking about it as a staff here before everything passed as to ramifications of what would happen and one of the things that comes up is you know at all our schools guys are doing captain's practices and they're playing. So the difference is, well, us coaches will get to be there for eight more practices now mm -hmm. than in the past. And other coaches and myself included all agreed. It's not necessarily that we think it's going to make a big difference in development, mm -hmm. but it is that our players get hurt less when we're overseeing them. When they're in captain's practices and they're being buffoons, they injure themselves regularly. <laughs> and I'm like, even if I just sit in the stands while they run captain's practices, it's better because they'll do less stupid things. <laughs> 
I can I can relate. I can relate. <laughs> um, I were you are are you a proponent of the push or the desire to extend the season, the regular season out, the the fall season? You're talking about two weeks, whatever the numbers end up being, but basically two weeks, one week at the front end, so you get longer preseason and then sort of playing the tournament out in a more extended fashion by a week. I think anything like that, um, you know, I'm a big fan of the 21st century model that D1 is doing. Mm -hmm. And I think anything like that where we can spread out the games because it's just too packed. Mm -hmm. It really is. It's just, I mean, and, and when I look at it, I look at the equivalent. Like when you look at the top European teams who are in Champions League and have, mm. you know, maybe the FA Cup and the Carlton Cup and their elite, like they're they're using like 30 players. Yeah. Because they know they have too many games. So they're doing this rotational shifting yeah. all the time yeah. because they can buy 30 good players. Yeah. <laughs> well, true. we're doing this perpetually and we're not our athletes aren't as finely tuned as those athletes. They're not as fully developed as those athletes. And we're getting the best we can because we know the injury rate is so high. Mm. So for us, it's almost like we're doing it for protection because we know injuries are going to happen as opposed to proactively for success because we can manage the burden. Yeah. We don't have the tools to manage that burden. No only lengthening it is the only way to possibly yeah. give their legs yeah. enough rest to yeah. hopefully help them health wise. I, I actually also think maybe this is counterintuitive, but I also think the game will get better because teams oh, yeah. are actually going to have a little bit more time to actually work on how they want to play. And, um, and so those first, I'm just, you know, three weeks of soccer, which is sometimes my eyes bleed because it's, it's just so chaotic and because they're still trying to figure, right. I, I don't mean that in a bad way. It just, yeah. it, it, they're still trying to figure out how they want to play and how it's going to work. And the coaches are still tweaking. Like, I think that gets smaller because I think guys, coaches and teams will just have more time to answer those questions. Um, so. Well, so when you look at a typical week for, for college soccer right now, most, most leagues are going, Let's say Saturday, Wednesday. So Saturday you play. Sunday is usually the day off. So Monday you can do a practice that's probably 75, 80%. Mm -hmm. Tuesday is going to be a 40 to 30% practice. You play Wednesday. Those guys who played a lot of minutes are going to have to rest. The rest can play maybe 75, 80%. Mm -hmm. Friday's a light day. Saturday's a game. And that perpetuates for like six or seven weeks. Yeah. So you really don't have that ability. So if you stretch it out, at least if you can get one or two quality days a week, yeah, it would be so be so much yeah, better yeah. for yeah, yeah. for so many reasons. Um, and that's why when I look at 2021, I say when we lost in the conference semifinal, we had two weeks of preseason before the NCAA tournament. Mm. That was awesome. Like yeah. we could have real practices. <laughs> I could, yeah. I could yeah. actually do a hundred percent practice for the first time in two months. <laughs> was, that's a that's. You're not the first one who's made that observation that sometimes, 
I don't want to say you throw you don't throw this stuff, but like if you're if you have a strength of schedule that you're really confident about and that your record is really good, like it is to a, a benefit to get knocked out early. You know, yeah. it's right. Like you're. I mean, everybody like, wants to win their conference championship. Right. Right. Guarantees them the dance, the all that stuff. Yeah. And that's all great. Yeah. Yeah. But there is. If we look back, who's won the national title? Yeah. Look how many of those teams in the past 15 years also won their conference Com- tournament. Yeah. UAA doesn't have one. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. 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 So they at, actually had two weeks, right? Or whatever the time frame before that first game. Yeah, a much lighter load going yeah. into the NSA tournament. Yeah. yeah. So they That's had minus three games. Yeah. That's interesting. Another sand, sand uh, quicksand uh, moment there to go into those. <laughs> um, <laughs> hey, um, you know, in your season, you went 16 3 and 4, you won the ODAC. Um, made it to the six, Sweet 16. Is there a game that sticks out for you that you were like, that's the game we want to capture? I always, like you said, we talk about moments, right? You see a goal or you're like, wow, that is just a thing of beauty. Was there a game like that for you where you're like, this is how we want to do it day in and day out? Mm-hmm. I'd say the first game of the season that I was thinking the guys played up to their level and that, okay, now we have a much higher ceiling than we've shown so far mm-hmm. is our first game against Roanoke in late September. Mm-hmm. Um, the guys really were keyed in and didn't give them any opportunities to score, mm-hmm. um, managed both sides of the ball extremely well and at their field. And when we walked away, I was like, that was a convincing demonstration. That, yeah. that was, that was really good. Um, and I'll say later, um, there's a lot of good moments. Um, and I just I just look at it and I just think when we played Randolph-Macon later um, in our conference, at no point did I really feel like we were in danger. And they were a good team, but our guys were just, they were just executing. Um mm-hmm. And even like the Randolph making coach said afterwards, he's like, you have a really good team. Mm-hmm. I'm like, well, when they, when they execute they're yeah. they're able to get in the ring with anybody. Um, I, I was, um, I always say, and you made, because the only reason why I, I, I remember that is because they, the whole idea is to test, test the ceiling right like what's your level and if you're consistently not performing right like maybe that's your that's your ceiling but when you have those games where those complete games which are really hard to do and to have like you said it's like this is where we should be right and capture those moments and capture those games again like i said it's just really really hard to do and, it's a um, tough question. Yeah. Like when you think about it, and I go back to when I was doing like ODP stuff um, back in the day, and, and we were talking with players who were sort of on region and national teams, and we saw what do I say? Some I don't know malaise or laziness mm-hmm. when we had them into a camp. And so when talking with the players, 
what they said to us is they said, we've been told for the last two months that every weekend is the most important weekend for our future. <laughs> How do we possibly play at our top level for six to eight consecutive weeks every weekend? They're like, it's just, we're tired. And they're like, and whatever tournament I go to, whenever I'm doing this, it's, oh, these college coaches are here. The national staff is here. Yeah. I have yeah. to do my best. I have to do my best. And they're like, we're just exhausted. We can't do that. And to the previous thing we were talking about, that's the construct of our season yeah. is we're constantly trying to get them to play their best, but I'm just not sure you can do that 22 times in two and a half months. Yeah. I just don't, I don't think it's possible quite honestly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's almost like you have to convince, you almost have to get them into a flow state, right? Like you're not amping them up because it's the most important game. You're allowing them to sort of use their game consistently over time and that they just sort of sense, you know, improve upon that, which is extremely difficult, as you said, like earlier with, you know, 18 19 20 year old guys so like you know it's right. really hard to do but it, it is true that that's that's that is so very true and it's something i never thought about it's like you do and we do it at the I, i'm a volunteer i mentioned this before like i'm a volunteer high school coach and we do that with every game too like in the high school season is the same as it's the closest thing i think to division or to co collegiate soccer you know, we have an early preseason, and we amp them up for every single game. Like, come on, you know, and, and you see it. I'm, I'm not, that's not me. But, um, you know, like, come on, you guys, this is, you know, we want to get to the state tournament. Or, you know, this is a county game, or this is a conference game. <laughs> and it, it is. It's almost like, you, you can't, you can't ask that of a kid, you know? Like, that's 16, 17 year old kids like you, you can't even you can't ask them that you can't i can't do it i get if you ask me like even when i was playing like, you can't get me amped up every single game like <laughs> you know like it's just it's just really hard that's really interesting really really interesting um but i i mentioned this to you early before we started i'm going to ask you about two losses which is terrible because you you had an outstanding season and i'm not i don't want to do that but you know i think the, the the first game and and this was probably the mysterious or the the red card that carried over um to the next season after eight months or six months yeah um <laughs> <clears throat> um you you opened with messiah at home or you lost four one i i just could you give me your thoughts about that game like i i I didn't get a chance to watch it. Just the score line struck me, right? Like, because you don't do that. Like, I don't, you're not a team I expect to allow four goals. But so I just would like to get your sense of that game. Um, see, I saw that game and going into the game, knowing that we had beat them in the Elite Eight in kind of in a convincing fashion mm -hmm. and the pride of that program and the success mm -hmm. of that program and historic, historically. Yeah, I knew yeah. they were going to come very ready yeah. and very focused. Yeah. Um, also, when they introduced the starting lineups, they had five super seniors, five seniors, and a junior. Mm. 
I had four freshmen. <laughs> I think I had three seniors on the field. <laughs> so that I knew, okay, that's different. And they're coming exactly to the place where their season ended. Mm-hmm. So I knew, okay, they're going to be a bit more ready than we are. Um, we have no super seniors. Um, and I'm just looking at it like that. And I'm like, okay. But then when I look at it too, we're missing two of our starting central midfielders. Um, so both Grant McCarty and Michael Kutzenzera couldn't play in that game. Mm-hmm. So I'm missing both of those guys. Um, arguably one of the best players, well, definitely one of the best players in the country, like one of the elites, right, mm-hmm. is sitting on the sideline. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. And I, and he's such a leader for the team on the field, but Grant is kind of like, he's kind of the glue. He's the heart mm-hmm. and soul who does all the dirty work that doesn't mm-hmm. end up in stat sheets. So I just look at that loss right there, but then I look at the freshmen who are playing. It's their first college game. I mean, yeah, they played in some preseason games, but that's not the same as playing yeah. Messiah and that, that energy and sort of the emotionality surrounding yeah. it. So we had that going as well. And I just looked at it and I was like, if you told me we came out with a tie that game, I would have been pretty happy with that. I wasn't happy with the, with the one, four loss, but it wasn't the end of the world. And if it was going to be any team, uh, I, that's why I would have, Yes, it might happen too, because what I said to my team in 2021 when we played them in the Elite Eight, I said, guys, no one on either team has ever been to a Final Four. I'm like, you guys are looking at it as an opportunity. They're looking at it as a right. And so for those super seniors coming back, knowing that we took that from them, yeah, I'd be pretty focused too if I was 23 years old and coming back to. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and and not to mention how good they really are. They were especially this year. I mean, uh, some of the they're, best they're some of the real... best soccer I watched was them. And I, I'm a fan. Like this is the way they play, and is, is really. Yeah. And so I could have. Yeah, I, I was just again. I didn't know the circumstances around. I knew that Michael Kutzenzero was was not there but um yeah i didn't know the lineups and all that kind of stuff so yeah it's interesting when you look at our start starting lineup in that game mm-hmm. and you look at our starting lineup saying the last half of the season mm-hmm. six differences yeah yeah i mean <laughs> so it's yeah it was a di- like we were a different team once we yeah, yeah, sort yeah. of got through the first two to three weeks mm-hmm. um speaking of speaking of you know you, you you have three. I mean, you had three All Americans, but to me, they're just in legitimate ball players, right? Kutzenzira, Sam Bass, who I'm a big fan of, and then probably more so Tyler Smith, who I just thought was a was more than just a player. I think he was the rock. He was the uh, defensive anchor. Uh, um. Maybe you could talk about those guys, like how how critical. Obviously, we know Kutzenzira, but Sam Bass and Tyler Smith. I mean, how critical were they to your success? Well, Tyler Smith, you know, real interesting, a two year captain for us, and then played in the sixth position for most of his career. But for club, he had always been a defender. Mm-hmm. Um, and when we graduated, Jack Rollins and Seth Chapman, 
we had an idea of who we thought would be the next center backs, hoping we could keep Tyler at the six. Mm-hmm. Um, but the situation came as, okay, let's, let's put him back there because we know he'll be a leader and he'll communicate and he can sort of organize. Um, and when we got him back there, we were, we were much, much better defensive team. Mm-hmm. Um, he just really owned the position, owned the yeah. back line, um, brought a calmness and a presence and just an understanding and, just really, like he he was the linchpin to our entire defense. Um, so I give him so many props because he just stepped right in about the second week of the season and said, "Okay, now we need to do this better, and here's how we go about it, guys." And so I give him a lot of a lot of credit for that. Uh, Sam Bass, we we call him Sea Bass, and Sea uh, Bass. I mean, he's an eight year old playing college soccer. And I mean that in the most complimentary way possible. Um, he's just so energetic and happy to be out there, and we'll try joyful. So and yeah, I mean, it's, he just loves playing, um, and he's got good creativity. And you know, it's interesting because when he gets when he gets consistent confidence, he was probably our best attacking player um at times and that's what i think led to our most recent successes is it's tough when people are keying in on kutz and zara and then they're realizing that bass is attacking the goal more than michael does and then when wamey started to click up top it was kind of like oh man like what what do you choose to stop and neither one is a pure 10 or a pure eight so the changing positions and constantly moving off each other kind of, I think, creates difficulty on other teams. Mm-hmm. Um, I, 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 the reason why I like Kutzenzirum is because he, he is good at goal, but I always thought he was more of like that smart guy you gave the ball to and he, he could make things happen, whether it was at his feet or he knew where, the, where to go to. And I always thought... Sam Bass was the recipient in a lot of cases of that, right? Of like his just mm-hmm. ability to distribute a ball like a, yeah. Um, fantastic ball players. All, all, I mean, like I said, I'm a big fan of your, I like the way you play. I like a lot of your players, but those guys, all, all three of them were guys. And I said this the other day, you know, I watch games and, and like I watch for a half and I'm like, who is that guy? And those three, Tyler in particular, but and and Kutzenzira obviously, but Sam Bass was the other one where I was just like, that that's that guy is special. Like there's something about them, and not so much just the skill, but just the presence and what they do on the field and how critical they are. I always thought like those three were just at a level where you're like these guys are just outstanding. So love love. One of the most interesting games for Seabass was his freshman year. So Michael had broken his leg in September his freshman year. So we missed Michael for the second half of the season. Mm-hmm. So Seabass had to do more of the attack. Mm-hmm. And when we played Gettysburg in the NCAA tournament, uh, I mean, it was, he, he was a man. I mean, he just, yeah. they couldn't keep up with him. He was mm-hmm. just playing so quickly and just attacking endlessly. And when I look back at that video over and over again, I'm like, whoa, he, he was on a mission 
Um, and it's a really fun one to go back and watch because when I've shown it to him, he's like, wow, I didn't realize I did so much. And I'm like, yeah, you're, you're on fire that day. Like yeah. that's, that's something you should be proud of and, and yeah. look, look fondly back yeah, 10 yeah. years from now. Yeah. Again, special players. I love calling them out. So, Hey, I, I got one last question for you. Um, just to get a sense of so what do you plan to do for the spring? Like what, what's your emphasis? What do you f- try to focus in on? Um, obviously I, I'm, I have a big theory that I think that elite teams really are efficient with what they do, how they use the spring, right? Because that is such a determinant. I, I think it's a bigger determinant than what I think it's credit for, for how you do in the fall. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I usually look at the spring and I usually have either one or two major topics for team organization. And we focus on either one or two of those throughout every practice. Um, because I think, you know, in a previous year, for instance, it was our press. We used the spring to install the understanding of how to press as a team. Mm-hmm. So we try to keep it to a major topic like that. Um, going into this spring, it's interesting. One of the things we're choosing to focus on is the time before spring because I think our team could do a better job with the strength and agility and sort of injury prevention program and doing the things to become the best athletes they can be. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's been a big stress for us right now is we want people to maximize their athleticism before the spring season. Mm -hmm. Um, And then in the spring season, we're really going to focus on transitions and um, both offensively and defensively. Mm -hmm. Um, in an average college game, there's supposed to be about 285 transitions. So if we can manage to win about 180, 190 of those, we'll, we'll do well. Mm-hmm. Oh, very good. All right, Coach. Um, Want to thank you for today. Really do, really do appreciate it. Um, love talking the game with you. It's, um, um, yeah, it was a pleasure. My pleasure. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Next, we'll definitely do something in the summer before the season. I'll bother you again and you can come on board because I fully expect after this interview now I'm going to have like 3,000 followers. So, you know, you come on and magic happens. (laughs) All right. Thanks a lot. All right. We'll see you. If you like this show, make sure you subscribe so you don't miss future episodes. You can also find me on anti-social media on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks. This is a message from my chief marketing officer. I think this keeps him happy.